This event was recorded live at the 2012 Edinburgh International Book Festival. Hi. Uh, good evening. Um, I'm Damien Barr. This is Danny Wallace. We were just discussing in the green room what kind of special walk we might do yes. as we came onto the stage. And I went for a jaunty number, which I thought went quite well. But you were behind me, so I couldn't see yeah. what was your... I went for adult human male. That's what I went for. I sort of freaked you out with that a bit. I was kind of going, have you worked on your walk? I've developed a new walk for tonight. And I just saw him go pale suddenly. And he realised that his walk would be quite important to the evening's events. I think we got away with it. Um, so we're here tonight to talk about your, your first novel, Charlotte Street. Round of applause for that, please, ladies and gentlemen. Very, very exciting. Thanks. Um, now, obviously, you, you, you've written many books. Um, and, you know, looking at your website, it's that kind of model slash actress, you know, model slash actress slash filmmaker slash I think you've looked at the wrong boy. website there. Did I? Yeah, Was yeah. that Daniela Wallace? <laughs> that was the pop-ups. I closed the pop-ups. But um, so, 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 you know, this is your first novel. Yeah. And I want really to talk about, we'll talk about the book in great depth, but also about the process and how it was different and how you got to writing a novel now and if it's something you wanted to write sooner. But let's start off with the kind of premise. Yeah. Because it's, it's a love story. Um, with a really interesting structure, and it's also slightly stalkerish. Thanks very much. Yes, <laughs> uh, it is. I suppose it's the lighter side of stalking, is what I would is what I would say. It's that thing of um, it's about a man, and he's walking down the street one day, and it's a man who's kind of been beaten up a bit by by life and by and by hope as well. And he doesn't know. He's at a point where he doesn't know whether it's better to always have hope and then maybe get let down, or to never have hope and just be surprised by things. Um, and he sees a girl and she's great and it's one of those moments that I think a lot of people have where you see someone maybe at a party or maybe on the street or whatever and you immediately imagine a whole world around that person and where you would go on holiday and what you would call your kids and it's all like that in a second and then you move on you forget about it and nothing ever happens and he has a moment like that with a girl and uh, she's struggling to get into a cab she's got all these bags with her um, and he just thinks she's great. And he does something he never normally does, which is kind of offer to help her. And she says yes, and there's a smile. And in that moment, that hope arrives, and he thinks, well, maybe this could, maybe this could be something. Maybe this could lead to something. Maybe she won't get in the cab, or maybe the cab will stop, and she'll come out, and we'll go for dinner, or who knows what could happen. And she gets into the cab and just drives off. And so the hope is gone. In the cab. In the cab, and he's just beaten up by life once more, until he looks down and he sees that he still has a disposable camera. And generally when I talk about stalking, the police do arrive. <laughs> and, uh, and in that moment, he's left with this kind of quandary. He thinks, do I develop the film and who knows what, maybe sort of get to know her in a weird way, this girl that I find strangely fascinating, um, or do I throw it away and just move on with my life? And so he decides, obviously, it'd be a very short book otherwise, decides <laughs> to uh, develop the film and... Uh, looks at the photos and starts to maybe see a story there but it's only when he sees one photo in particular that that something there's something really weird about the photo should we tell them what dot, it is dot 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 no we won't tell them what yeah. it is 
<laughs> it's not weird in that way. It's not, no, no. You know, it's not like a Brett Easton Ellis novel. It's no. weird. That would nice be a really way. weird change of direction for me at this stage. <laughs> yeah, it really would. <laughs> um, so, so it's interesting, this idea of a disposable camera, because I was reading it thinking, when was the last time I saw a disposable camera? Yeah. It's, sort of, it's really retro. It's like a fax machine exactly. you know, turning yeah. up in, in, in the present. Imagine so if what? she'd had a fax machine. <laughs> <laughs> and he's standing on the street with a fax machine. <laughs> that was not bad, actually. Thanks. It's a sequel there. Um, uh, well, you yeah, know, exactly. Exactly, and, and he thinks that as well. He kind of goes, why has someone got this, this disposable camera? And Because, um, I, I, you know, I guess at weddings and things you get them. And, and so he, he's, he's sort of looking at it and, and thinking about it. And I wanted to explore that as well because I think that these days with digital cameras, we take a million photos every single day mm. and we delete 99.9% .9 of them. And there's nothing special about most of those moments. We're just quite snap happy. But with a disposable camera, there's something quite important about those moments because you only get 12 or 24, um, and each moment has to mean something because you've got to be sure you want to commit it. It's got to be important enough to be clicked and then whatever that noise is. Yeah, work. Mm. Work. Yeah, what is that noise? Word, yeah. We'll go with work. Um, but I, I think there's a, there's a great bit in the book where you talk about you know people taking pictures with their phones and it being like wallpaper, digital wallpaper that we just kind of ignore. But the idea of the, the disposable camera is a really clever one. It's a story. Um, that, you know, that somebody's choosing to tell a story in these 12 pictures and yeah. that's decoded um, throughout the book. Exactly. And she doesn't know she's telling the story. It's just it happens to be like a period of her life and the tale of perhaps why she is the way she is um, and, uh, and our hero, Jason. Jason Priestley, I called him. And, and I wanted honest. to ask about that, <laughs> yeah. It was... Uh, An early 90210 fixation. <laughs> it's just kind of Do you know what? It was actually the first... I mean, it, I think it is the first sentence... Of, it is the first sentence of the book. Hello, my name is Jason Priestley or something like that. Um, and that was, the, that was the first sentence I wrote. I wrote, hello, my name is Jason Priestley. And in, in those words, I suddenly thought, oh, that poor guy. <laughs> and it immediately informed me as to who he was and, uh, and what he'd been through, in a sense. Just that constant thing. You can't make like a complaint. You know, like if you have to make a complaint to the council or something like that. If you if you go, all right, well, we'll take your complaint. What's your name? And you say Jason Priestley. Immediately, you've lost the battle, haven't you? It happened to me recently. I was writing an email, right? I wrote an email to the council, and I was kind of Argh. that was the noise. That was that sums up the. <laughs> and I was writing this email. And I was getting very kind of. Uh, I was using words I wouldn't normally use, which is when I know I'm trying to make a good point. I was using words like vociferous. I was pointing and things like that. <laughs> and I sent the email, and then I thought suddenly, there's something a bit odd about that email. And I went to my sent messages, and I realized that out of complete force of habit, I'd written this kind of angry email, vociferous, blah, blah, blah. And at the end, I just popped a little kiss. <laughs> Which I feel undermined the point I was trying to make <laughs> ever so slightly. Um, so for Jason, it's that kind of thing. If he can never really be taken entirely seriously, because there's always that running joke. Yeah, every single person that he meets in the novel goes, Jason, Jason Priestley. And yeah. there's kind of the kind of ha-ha moment that happens to him. It's very annoying for him. Um, so he is a, he's a character, I mean, you, you talked about hope at the beginning, and the book really is a book about hope and when it's wise to hope and when it's wise maybe not to hope. Yeah. Um, and he... Um, he is a teacher by training, but he wants to be a journalist, right? So that's his, that's his hope, that's his dream. Yeah. Um, and he, set, he makes the choice, or something happens for him yeah. to make the choice. Can we talk about what, what yeah. that is? Yeah, there's... Um, see, I, I've never been a teacher, um, but I, I, I wanted to explore what it must be like to be a teacher in, in, quite a, in quite a rough area where all your intentions are extraordinarily good, but the environment and, and the kind of... It, it beats him down. It, it beats him, basically. 
And there's a, an event one day, which actually happened to a friend of mine who is a teacher, where he was teaching, because he's a teacher, and heard a, a kind of a crack or a noise and, and something at the window, and he looked up, and there was a kid shooting um, at the class with an air rifle, and immediately he didn't know if it was a kid or not. You, you just see the gun, you know. Mm. And not being a firearms expert, he doesn't know kind of what the danger is here. But immediately that could have beaten my friend, and luckily it didn't. But for someone like Jason, it was kind of the, the last straw. And as, he doesn't feel like he's a good teacher anyway. Mm. So he was kind of tricking himself into getting away with it. And we sort of find out whether he, whether he was underestimating himself and, and whether there are these things to sort out during um, the book. I mean, nobody nobody is, is killed as a result of that or, even, or injured. But what he does say is that um, it killed his relationship. I mean, Sarah is his partner yeah. uh, or his girlfriend at that point in the book. Um, and that ruins his confidence and effectively sort of ruins the relationship, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, so essentially, you know, the kid did kill a teacher that day because he could no longer, he could no longer teach. So it forced him into doing something else. But he's, he's kind of gone through a lot of other stuff as well. By the way, it's a funny book. <laughs> <laughs> I've just realised. I've just realised. I sound like I'm on Newsnight Review. <laughs> it's, you know, it's funny, but there is, you know, there, there are elements of, you know, I mean... I want it to be real as well. I really like the stuff about um, office life. I think that's very, very, very funny. Right. Um, uh, you know, the kind of the relationships between people. There's a kind of office joker called Clem yep. who goes off to do comedy nights called things like Ha Ha Mageddon. Yes. Um, and he's just bum curling. Um, <laughs> and I was just thinking, where was the last That'd time That would be a great review. Just bum curling. He would think that was some kind of compliment. Yeah. That would be on his Edinburgh poster. Well, yeah, he would. Um, when was the last time you were working in an, in an office? I wondered if um, you're a bit nostalgic for that or if you just... I'm, I'm quite pleased I, I don't work in an office, but I used to work in an office. I worked in a few offices. Um, and there are, there are those people and those kind of those dynamics. And, and because you are in a room together and you know you're going to be in that room tomorrow and the day after, there are things you can't say um, that you would like to say. And um, Jason does say a few of them um, because, he, you know, again, life has just kind of forced him into it. But, um, yeah, I, I just, I worked, I did some nine-to-five stuff and um, I'm just better not doing nine-to-five stuff. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, fine at home, that's great, because I can incorporate the right stuff. Homes under the hammer. Loose those, women. Loose women, all these things. Yeah. Um, but no, I, you know, it was important to me that he, he, he had a real life, you know. Um, and he has, so there's, there's Sarah, who's his, who's his girlfriend, who becomes his ex-girlfriend, and who he then stalks on Facebook. There's actually quite a bit of stalking <laughs> in this book, now I'm thinking about it. Yeah, um, but it's that thing of, it's, I think these days, it's, it must be so much harder to be an ex-boyfriend or an ex-girlfriend. Um, not to bring it down, has anyone just broken up with someone <laughs> or been broken up with? They're all at home No, crying. everyone's very happy. <laughs> this is good, we can talk about it freely. But it's just um, because in the past, I suppose, if a relationship broke down or you were dumped or something, you could just kind of pretend that they'd gone to a nunnery and that you would never <laughs> have to worry about it again, it'd be fine. But these days, with Facebook and Twitter, unless you make that decision to cut them out of your life, which is a very difficult thing to to do. To unfriend, to, to delete. Un it's a bold move. It's a big statement. And it could be mistaken. They could think you're childish, you can't deal with it, and you have to like act like, no, I'm the big man here, it's fine. We'll be <laughs> Facebook buddies. Um, but if you do that, then you run the risk of at any point something popping up into your life about that person, or a picture of them with whoever they're now with, having the time of their life. Mm. And that kind of thing starts to happen to, to Jason. Um, and she's moving on uh, quickly 
and successfully and happily, and he's not. Yeah. And it, that's another thing that just kind of keeps him down. So um, and Jason is living in a flat on the Caledonian Road next door to a, a flat that everybody thinks is a brothel but isn't, which is yes. another one of the things that happens. Which could be well. almost anywhere on the Caledonian Road in London. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he's living there with a friend of his from university. So again, it's a kind of regressive, yeah. he's not moved on. So tell us about, about the friend, Dev, because I think you and Dev have a lot in common in some ways. Oh. In good ways. I'm thinking about computer games here. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dev, um, Dev's nice. I like Dev, not just because you said he's like me. But no, he's, I can really like Dev. Yeah. <laughs> Dev is full of hope and optimism. He's a man who, uh, he's always got a plan. Even if the plan turns out to be wrong, at least he had a plan. It's that kind of yeah. thing. And um, he runs a, a kind of an independent video game shop, which isn't a great, isn't a great sort of business. It's not doing, not doing that well. And there are a couple in my local area that I kind of had a little look at. But, and he's a guy who, he, his... His look has just come back in. He wears a big pair of sort of glasses that, uh, not these. <laughs> this isn't me. I am not Dev. <laughs> that, uh, that, that he got off his granddad, um, essentially, after his, after his granddad passed away. He started wearing the glasses, um, which don't look great, but have just sort of come into fashion. So now he looks pretty cool. In five years, he won't. And he certainly didn't when he was kind of at university and things mm. like that. But he's a guy who... who, who who really kind of, he will use the moment. He will take the moment, he will just, he will go, especially when it involves someone else's life, when it's got no ramifications for, for yeah. Jason. So Jason doesn't really want to develop these photos. And Dev thinks you have to. And so it's Dev that grabs the camera and takes them to the Snappy Snaps on Charlotte Street and develops them. So without Dev, um, without Dev there'd be, there'd be no story. Um, no, he's, he's an absolutely lovely character um, and um, something unlovely happens to him later on. Yeah. It's kind of hard to talk about that because I'm not sure. You're going to well up? Well, I'm just going to be overcome by it. <laughs> um, but, um, no, I have, to, I have to leave it because I don't want to give it away. Yeah, okay. okay yeah, something, something happens yeah. uh, to Dev, but it has positives and it has negatives. Yes. And, um, and I wanted to... See, the thing is, right, I didn't know that was going to happen to Dev because... I, I knew how the story started, and I knew how the story potentially finished, but I didn't know what else happened. And it turns out that middle bit of a novel, is a little tip, it's quite important. <laughs> All that stuff. People that pay attention to that. <laughs> um, and, uh, but, but my reasoning was, I wanted, I, didn't want to, I wanted to explore the story, and I wanted to meet these people, and um, I didn't want to know what happened and, and, and why they were the way they were until I came up with it, you know, as I was going. Because that way, I figured, no one could second guess the story, because I couldn't. I didn't know what was going to happen. So if I didn't know, it couldn't really be predictable. So how did you do it? I mean, are you one of those writers who sits down? Because, I mean, obviously, you've written all these non-fiction books, um, and that, you know, you know what's happening there because it's something that's happened, and you're reporting it, in a sense, yeah. sort of journalistic in a way. But with this, you know, you're making it up. Yeah. So what, you just sat down there, you know, at home, possibly in your pants, possibly having just turned off loose women. Generally in my pants. Generally in your pants. And were there index cards with characters? Did you, or did, you I know? tried some of that. I did, do, I did do some of that. I had to develop new ways of writing. That, um, I've done that a few times over the years where, like, like you say with the other books, I, I would kind of write in order, but every day I would go back to see what I'd done mm. and make it a bit better and then continue yeah. and just keep that process going. So sort of self-editing all the way along. Yeah. Um, and 
the, I write uh, a column every week for a magazine, and, and that's got a different style to it. And you have to tell a story very quickly with its own sort of running gags and sort of leitmotif things and wrap it up in a, in a very short space of time. So that mm. taught me something new. And with this, it was, um, there was a moment where I was making a cup of tea in the kitchen and I realized that I suddenly knew who all the characters were. And I didn't up to that point. And that was a brilliant moment because then I could go back upstairs and, and work on them and, and kind of and make it better. And then, then it kind of flew because I knew who they were. There's a character in it called Abby who I really like. But she was only supposed to be a girl that stamped his hand at a club. He's going into a club and, and she stamped his hand. And then she said something. And I thought, oh, you know, I like you, yeah, that's good. And I gave him a little thing to say back. Uh -huh. uh, <laughs> but then she had a, she had a comeback. Uh, uh. And I was going, she's, I like this girl. And she became, she became a major character. She did, yeah. yeah and she, she was just a girl stamping. But that's what, how life works. It's exactly how life works. You go somewhere, you meet someone, you say something, they say something, ah. and then they become a big character in your life. And they didn't have to have existed before because you didn't know them. You mm. had no idea they existed. But then you meet them as you meet Abby and as I met Abby that day, and they suddenly become a big part of your story. And as you've met people in your own life, in your own story, I mean, that's a kind of a consistent theme, isn't it, in your, yeah. in your career of meeting, you know, like the, the whole Dave Gorman thing and then meeting all these people who are joining joining your cult. Yes. Um, talk to me a bit more about your cult. <laughs> if anyone uh, has no idea what I do, they essentially think I'm a stalker and a cult leader. <laughs> it's all right, I am. I am a gentle cult leader. It's good. I can turn a simple book event like this into a mass suicide <laughs> just by talking for too long. No, I start, I, uh, about 10 years ago, I put an advert in the paper that just said, join me. Send one passport-sized photo to, and then my address. And I wanted to see whether people would join something if they didn't know who they were joining or what they were joining or why they were joining or even what joining meant. And I didn't know any of that either. So why did you do it? For that, it was kind of that. There was a, there's a, a backstory involving my family and, uh, and a great uncle who, who was an idealist and an optimist and wanted to, his, his idea was to start a kind of a commune. And he wanted about like 100 people. Um, and they, it would have been great. He had all this land in Switzerland. My family is Swiss. And I, it would have been a marvellous thing. They could have worked together and played together and sat on massive tables at night and built things in a car, you know. It would have been great. And, he, and only about three people went, yeah. <laughs> and that was less a commune and more a kind of dinner party. <laughs> and so it never happened. And I wondered whether people would join something and what was stopping them from joining something. At the time, there were all these surveys saying people weren't joining churches or organisations and all this kind of stuff. So I, I, I did this thing, and I, I felt that asking for a passport photo was a good way of, because anyone can say, yeah, all right, I'll, I'll join you. But who would send a passport photo to a complete stranger? You immediately think, what are they, what are they up to? Yeah. But it shows faith in the unknown and trust in your fellow man, in a sense. And so I was expecting thousands, and I got one. And there's a man named Jonesy, and he had a really friendly face. And I liked him a lot. And uh, from, from, this, from this letter that he'd written, and he went, yes, I will join you. So I wrote back and uh, went, well, let's, let's meet up, right? And so we agreed to meet up at a pub quite local to him. <laughs> and I wanted to know why he had joined, right? What he was going to get out of this. I thought maybe it would give me some ideas. I forgot that he would have a lot of questions like, what have I joined? <laughs> <laughs> so I go to this pub, and the world's end and Camden was sitting opposite each other suddenly. And we're both a little bit wary of each other you know he's all but flinching every time I go for my pint glass 
And he starts to ask me all these questions, and I'm trying to bat them away, because I want to talk about him, you know. And he's going, so this, this, uh, this join me thing. And I'm kind of going, yes, <laughs> people, people uh, joining. And he said, how many people? And I go, Num- numbers, no, numbers aren't important. It's not about numbers. It's about people. It's about people. <laughs> he's going, well, h- how many people? And eventually I have to tell him, and I go, there's two of us. And I look at him while he does the maths. <laughs> and he adds me to him and essentially gets the world's most shit club. And I'm thinking he's going to go now, he's going to go. But luckily, him being him, he took a sip of his pint, looked me in the eye, and he went, do I get a badge then? <laughs> and he was in, and his flatmate came down, and he joined. I doubled my little cult overnight. You know, it was great. And then I needed something for everyone to do, and so I decided to use my powers for good um, and make them do a, a good deed on a Friday for a stranger. Uh, which they all did, and it became the Karma Army, and it spread around Europe, and I ended up on some weird chat show in Belgium, and then suddenly sort of 14% of my joiners were Belgian. It was a very unusual moment in my life, <laughs> but it was, uh, it was great. And is that an ongoing moment? Yeah, in fact, I bumped into a man today in the, in the Pleasants who, uh, who I met 10 years ago in Edinburgh after someone had chalked on the ground, join us, for a whole street. And so him and his then-girlfriend, now-wife, um, walked, just followed the signs and, and walked up and then went and got a passport photo afterwards and, and joined us. So it's a very friendly cult. <laughs> um, the Guardian and, and described you once as the poster boy for positive thinking. Um, how, do you, how do you feel about that? Do you think it's accurate? Um, I don't know if it's I mean, I'm, you know, it's, it's nice, but then I'm the poster boy for what do you expect me to say? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's fiendishly not. Yeah. I just kind of wonder, I sort of wonder where that comes from because of the two characters, the central characters in the book, Jason is kind of more cynical, but Dev is sort of en- endlessly optimistic, always yeah. and always wants to do things. I mean, he has a kind of, you know, this idea that he plays all these computer games, he runs this shop, but that in a computer game, you always progress, you always go to the next level, you always yeah. go up, right? Yeah. Or you can save and and things like that. And I you wonder, can quit. You can save yeah. and quit and just be happy with what you've got. Or you can, yeah, keep on, keep on going. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, it's... Um, Does that ever get tiring? Do you ever just think, oh, actually, I'm not feeling like being the poster boy of positivity <laughs> today? Not really, because life's more exciting when you do stuff. And things only happen when you do stuff. And that's kind of what informs Dev, you know. He's someone who does things. Mm. And I've found that life is more exciting when you, when you do stuff. Because then more stuff happens, and that's kind of been how I've handled my career as well, such as it is. I've, kind of, I've gone where the fun is, but I've tried to do the fun well so that you get asked to have more fun. Yeah. And you don't know where that fun's going to be or what it's going to be even, but you, go, you, know, you, you try and do it, and, um, and that's what he does. And, and whereas Jason is, is, I guess, that sort of save and, save and quit guy, just kind of, all right, I've got here, let's just play it safe now. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just going to leave it here. But I also think that at the beginning of the book, Jason is someone who in real life, if he existed, probably wouldn't like me. He probably would, I mean, there's my glasses, <laughs> there's the, my right, he just probably wouldn't like me. And I, I found that really weird when I, when, I, when I thought that after the book was, was finished, because why am I inventing someone <laughs> who would probably send me stuff on Twitter? You know, it's kind of a weird thing. But he does change and I think that, um, I think that the, you know, the way he becomes, um, I think he's happier for it. I think one of the really interesting things about him is, is that he's unreliable. 
Um, you know, he, he, he starts off, you know, we think we know everything there is to know about him from the kind of the shooting at school and wanting to not be a teacher and be a journalist. And, and we think he's kind of broadly a bit feckless and, you know, um, but, but nice. But then we find out he tells us, he confides in us, doesn't he, as he goes yeah. through the book that he's done things. Yeah, things. That was another thing I wanted to do where I, want, I, I kind of write in a way that, um, like I tell you the story, like the columns and, and, and the other books, that's the way I would tell you the story if I was in the pub with you, you know? Because I feel it's important to get on with the reader. And, um, and when I meet people who've read the books, immediately I feel like we are already kind of friends, you know? Because they tell me what they've read, and then I, I, it's, it's like we've had that night where I've told you this story. So I immediately know, and there's a connection there. Um, but with, with Charlotte Street, I wanted Jason to, to hold stuff back because he doesn't trust you yet, and you shouldn't trust him either. So it's only when you get to know each other that he's able to, to admit this stuff to you. Um, so, yeah, you discover a, a few things along the way. And were those things that you knew about him when you started, or were they things that surprised you as well? Uh, I'd say it was about 50-50. I knew, I knew a couple of the things that, that, he would, that would have happened to him or that he'd have been involved in in his life. But some I was surprised by as well, yeah. Okay. As I got to know him, because I had to get to know him as well. Yeah. It's weird, that. Really odd. Well, he's a real person. You yeah. Know, he's very believable. I mean, um, there are elements of them. Are I the police letting off fireworks now? Yeah. Because that was, was an emergency firework display. Yeah. <laughs> the anti-stalking players. Yeah. Um, the, the book is very, it's very filmic as well, and it has been optioned, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it has, by working title, which is, which is great. Um, and they've made some of my, my favourite sort of romantic comedies like I watched um, <laughs> why is that funny <laughs> just me hanging out on my own watching romantic comedies um, well I liked uh, I really you know when I, I was telling someone earlier I watched uh, Notting Hill in the cinema and I had to turn to the person I was with and go I'm really enjoying this <laughs> and I don't know why I had to do that it just felt like something I had to say I had to go I'm really enjoying this <laughs> and I was and I love it it was great it's kind of up, up and funny and had some amazing kind of lines in it and four weddings and a funeral it's got one of my favorite jokes in it of all time where he's sitting down he introduces himself to a man at the wedding uh, and he says hi I'm Charles and he goes don't be ridiculous he goes well I am he goes I think I know my own brother <laughs> little, little moments like that just make me go, this is fantastic. So, so, so it must feel like a dream come true then that they've optioned the film for It couldn't you. be with better people, yeah. certainly. But then also I've been through it a bit and, you know, Yes Man happened and that happens kind of as quickly as it possibly can in terms of films. So tell like. us about that process. How did that come about with Jim Carrey? You know? um, they, they, uh, there were a few people interested and um, one company in particular I thought were kind of got the spirit of the book. Um, How did that feel when you got that kind of call from Hollywood saying, oh, we want to make your book into this huge, big film? It's, it's pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Turned um, off Loose Women. But <laughs> <laughs> Although, do you know, on the, on the, I've been on Loose Women once or twice, and um, I was working in America about a year ago, and you know IMDb, people kind of add stuff for you, like, like Wikipedia. If you do something, they might just add it for you. I don't know who, who does it, but someone goes on, and just goes, I saw them on a thing, I'll put it on there. And um, I was with some, uh, some producers, and um, they'd been on IMDb to, to work out who I was and you know, what they could say to me. And one of them just started talking about loose women. <laughs> and I think, this is very, um, well, how, does he, how does he know about this? And apparently, um, I, I feature on the DVD, the best of loose women. <laughs> so my cachet in Hollywood just rocketed uh, that day. It's basically just me bouncing 
on one of those daily buttons. What they were they? Space hopper. Space hopper with Jane McDonald. Um, that's so, a career high right there. Boom, straight away. So uh, I can't remember the question. I do actually love Jane McDonald. I wasn't joking. I do. That, I'd be quite excited to share a space hopper with that. I think, um, I think this interview's just ended. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but no, that, that was a great call to get. And then they said that Jim Carrey was. It wasn't originally going to be Jim Carrey. It's going to be Jack Black. Um, and I had meetings with, with his people about that kind of thing. And then suddenly it was uh, it was Jim Carrey. And um, I was uh, it was weird. I was on my own in New Zealand on like a desert island at the time when I got that call and um, there was no one to tell. <laughs> it was literally an island of about 400 people spread miles around and I, if it had been in London, I'd have been running around tube trains and stuff and just shouting. It was just me on my own. Desolate, bleak chapter in my life. <laughs> uh, but it was, uh, no, it was, it was marvellous and they, you know, they did a good job and they got me over there and uh, a lot and I was, I was, you know, treated like a like minor royalty, so it was good. So you, will you be as involved in, in this, do you think? Uh, you I don't know. It's kind of things like that, would you? No, I don't. Th that always comes up, and they always, uh, it's always like an option. But I think they'd be better off. If it's going to get made, and it's going to get made in my lifetime, it's probably better if someone who's good at that stuff does it, you know, who's, who's like written films. And I, I'd like to write one one day, but it has to be something that, that I haven't already written, because I'd yeah. probably just do that again. But yeah, I, sort I, of I, say so external. You know, a screenwriter's going to do. It's going to be their own interpretation, and you're going to have yeah. to kind of let go of it. Totally, and I, I'm I'm a believer in that you have to let go, and it, it becomes its own thing. Um, because why? You know, it doesn't all have to be the same. They can have, you can have two great things um, as long as the spirit is there and what you intended. But I think they'll stick pretty closely to Charlotte Street from everything I've heard. Um, so yeah. let's talk about the process of writing it, because I mean, obviously you've written all those other books. So what, how, how is it different doing the novel? Was it scarier? Was it harder? Did you kind of, you know, at the end of each day, were you just like, ugh? You know, um, was there ever a moment where you thought, I can't do it? Yeah, totally. It's, it's much harder. Um, and there's a lot of staring, staring that goes on, a lot of staring. But then I developed a new way of, um, of, of, of dealing with it. And um, I had to come up with a way, because, you know, there's nothing worse than that end of the day feeling if you haven't got anything that you think will go in, you know, you want some sense of achievement. And so um, what I decided to do was I would set myself a certain amount of words that I wanted to hit. And it could be, I mean, it could be a thousand words, it could be 2,000 words, whatever. And then, and this sounds very childish, it works, I would write, four, draw four boxes on a bit of paper and then split the word count into four. So if it was 2,000, each would represent 500 words. 1,000, each represents 250. And that immediately freed up a part of my brain because I was no longer worried about how to start. I would just start and just think, well, I'll just, I can write about any, any moment that I, that I think may come up or may not. It doesn't matter. So just do that. And then every now and again, you check the word count and you'd be past those four boxes. And if you weren't, you could have a break and tick the boxes off. And it was just a little technique that just made it a lot easier. I don't know why. I just think it, I just think something's unlocked when you do that. How long does it take? I guess it took, I guess it took, um, well, the problem was I was suddenly, an, another project that I, that I didn't expect to happen suddenly happened. And I had to go to America um, and work there for four months. But that was kind of good because when I returned, I was reading it like someone who'd never read it and didn't know it. So I could kind of see what I liked about it and then take, take it on. But I suppose all in all, probably eight, uh, eight, ten months, something like that. Something like that. And did you, had you a deal for it before you started or was it you were writing it and then it went out? How did it? 
to that game. Did you have a deal for it before it started? Uh, yes, I did, for Charlotte okay, Street, okay, yeah, so because they... Deadline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the wonderful, wonderful deadline. I'm, I, I've got a real thing. I've got a, a quite a good work ethic, and I constantly feel like I'm letting people down. If, if, if it's not on the desk it's supposed to be on at the time, agreed. You know, I feel really bad about that. At school, I think the reason I like writing books and why I've done things like Yes Man and Join Me is because at school, the thing I loved the most, like most of it I could take or leave, the thing I really liked was projects, right? It didn't matter what the project was about. It could be about leaves. And I have little interest in, I enjoy leaves. I'm pleased <laughs> we have leaves. You know, I've seen leaves. Picked some leaves up. Um, but I, I'm not drawn to leaves. And yet, if I was told it's leaves, I would love it. I'd be out there collecting as many leaves as I could, doing things that didn't need to be done, studying everything about the leaves, just because that was my project. I know a lot about a small brook called the Midford Brook that it has never come in handy <laughs> until this moment now that I'm telling you <laughs> about it. But I'm not sure that's what uh, the geography teacher had in mind. But that was a project. And these feel like these are projects. And, and you want to complete them. And you want to be happy with them. And you want to hand them in. And you want to get a gold star. And do you feel you've done that for yourself? Do you feel happy with it at the end of it? I, you, you know, I, uh, I, I never feel comfortable sort of reviewing my own stuff. But it is, it is the way it was when I pressed save. So the experience, but I'm happy, I like it. The experience didn't make you think, oh, I can't do this again. Are you going to do another novel? There's, you know what, I will, but I think there were times when I was writing it where I thought, oh, I can't do this again. But then I think you block it out and you only remember the gold star or the handing it in or the, yeah. final, you know, the final project. So, um, so I, yeah, I would, I would love to. And I've got, I've got, again, the beginning and the end of something. And I just need that middle. <laughs> Okay, I'll take some questions. The lights are really bright. I sort of can't see you, but um, I think there are... Oh, here we go. Oh, perfect. There Thank are people you here. Much. <laughs> um, you've got the roving mic, so oh, yeah, you just cool. want to put your hands up. Oh, gentleman here in the front row. Thank you. Hello. Um, Hello. With, uh, with your books... You um, have to say your name and your age. Oh, sorry. Phil? <laughs> Phil, 29. <laughs> you don't know your age. <laughs> Been in Edinburgh all day. Come on. <laughs> you really had to look at your girlfriend there and go. The look in his eyes was, help me. <laughs> Phil 29, yes. Um, with the books, Join Me, Friends Like These, or, or the stuff you did before Charlotte Street, were they um, projects for books or were they projects for the sake of it never, about it, your mates? It never starts that way, but it would be disingenuous to say that the publishers don't keep their eye on you and work out, all right, what's, what's going on here? Join Me didn't start that way. Yes Man didn't start that way. They have to start from something that you're, you're sort of lacking or um, something that you want to correct in your life. I just did a tick there. Turning into a teacher, I really am. But they, so they have to come from something like with, you know, with, with, with Join Me, there was a certain sense of not, not knowing what, what I should do. And I'd, I'd been in like an office job like we were talking about. And what do you what do, you do with your time? What do you, how do you not... How do you kind of be happy? That's sort of what they're all kind of about. Um, yes, man, I had been, I'd been saying no for far too long. And just not, like friends would phone up and kind of go, do you want to come out to this thing? A fireworks display in Edinburgh. <laughs> and I'd go, no, it sounds too noisy for me. <laughs> um, and uh, I'd end up going, no, you know, I'm doing a thing tonight. And I wasn't. I was watching The Weakest Link and um, eating a samosa. Huh? 
they weren't meant for books. Well, no, but there's a point where, again, you're, you're like, my way of working is you, you, I would always tell my stories to my friends in the pub, and then you start to hone the anecdotes. So the anecdotes become like bits, in a sense, and you start to put them together and you do think, this is, this is, this, you know, I could tell this as a story, I could mm. write this down. And so there is a moment where you go, okay, I, I know this is going to be something. Um, but they have, to, they have to start kind of in real life, otherwise, I mean, there are... Well, they there don't are, feel real if you... I mean, if there, are, there are books out there that, that since, and there are some brilliant ones, but there are some where you just go, oh, okay. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's, the gods of publishing are moved to rage. Exactly. I've angered Thor. <laughs> um, I saw another hand over... Oh, was that over there? Over there? Right. Uh, you need to say your name and the name of your first pet. Stuart, I remember that, and uh, Smokey. Smokey? He's a rabbit. Oh, lovely. <laughs> I'm just really interested to know what motivated you to move from an office job to become a writer or to do your projects. And, and what, at what kind of point did you think, I've got to make that change to do you know, you know, the kind of what you're doing now and being successful in doing it? Um, I'd always... Uh I'd always kind of written, but I'd never felt... Like, I got into writing because uh, it was work experience at school. And they said to me, we've got you some sorted out. You're, you can either go and file stuff in an accountant's office, or you can go to the garden centre and dig some holes. And I thought, neither of those sounds particularly brilliant for me. And there was a video games magazine in my town, and so I, I badgered them. And it was because I loved video games initially. And then I started writing about them, and I gradually fell out of love with those. So I've always felt like I've, I've always been kind of writing, but then I got an office job. And it was a, it was a cool one. It was a great one to have. You were a producer have. at the BBC, I was a right? producer at the BBC. I was like a trainee producer in kind of comedy, and it was perfect because I grew up listening to loads of comedy. But it, it never felt right to me to be getting up at the same time and going to a place and having to deal with loads of stuff before I was able to do anything kind of creative. I just wanted to cut straight to, cut straight to the creative bit. And um, if you leave an office job, you're kind of on your own. And so I wanted to just be able to have an outlet for sort of being creative um, and try stuff and just see what happens. Like with Join Me, try something, put it out there and just see what happens. Um, and that's, that's what I did. And, and luckily, you know, I don't know what would have happened if Jonesy hadn't sent me his passport photo. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was kind of that. But then, then you do have to, if you're working on your own, you do have to, it's that project thing, you have to kind of make sure you hand them in. Otherwise, you don't hand them in. <laughs> you're just at home. There's no gold star if you don't hand them in. Yeah. There's a, um, um, a lady there and a lady over there. Keeping you active there with the microphone. You talked about how um, you had an audience in mind when you were doing your books, The Parent, Your Friend in the Pub. Yeah. When you did your non-fiction books, did you have a different audience in mind than your fiction book? For example, all your um, non-fiction books, my husband and all his male friends have really enjoyed. Uh-huh. What are you my saying about your book female group friends? <laughs> <laughs> slightly that it was more written for a male audience. Ah. And I wondered if you had a different audience in mind for your different genres. That's interesting. I've not really thought about that. Not, um, not really, because it's, you know, it's a bit like, it's just like talking to someone that you haven't really met before, but you want to get on with. Um, and I suppose it is a bit like just meeting someone for, for the first time. And I've never, 
I've never thought that is like for a male audience or for a female audience. And the way it tends to break down, it, it's always been about 50-50 in terms of like, the emails I get and, um, and the readers I meet and, and, and everything like that. There is probably, I suppose, those things because like, like Join Me and, and, and Yes Man, it does kind of feel like something. I mean, I called them stupid boy projects, you know, my ex-girlfriend and I kept, you know, kept that phrase going. Um, and uh, so I suppose there is that element to it that, all right, it's something kind of a boy's doing. But, but with the novel, I, I didn't really, I didn't really um, think it was, it was aimed at anyone different. It was just to, to the reader. It's kind of like, it's a bit like with some of the characters in there. Someone asked me the other day, you know, because you can write about boys and, and the kind of thing that, that they do. How was it writing about girls? And I wasn't trying to write about girls or for girls or about boys or for boys. I was just trying to write about these people and what these people were like for people. Um, so that's a very vague answer, but it sounded, <laughs> sounded pretty good. <laughs> the lady there. Hi. Hello. Um, in Charlotte Street, there's a theme of if you have a good beginning, you'll make you th go through to the end. And yeah. I was just wondering where that came from. Is it something that you've experienced in your own life? I think everyone wants a story in a relationship. You know, you want that, you want that, that meeting. You want that, that, that first date or that, 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 that how you met. You know, you want in 50 years to be talking to your grandchildren and them to say, oh, tell, us about, tell us again about how you met, that insane way you met or whatever. I think everyone kind of wants that. Most people don't meet like that. They meet on like a, as, as I think I say, on like a company away day or, you know, at the pub or whatever. And that's, that's all absolutely fine. But this guy's a bit of a romantic and he just wants that. And he kind of feels that he had that with someone, but it wasn't strong enough to get to the end. And in a weird way, there's a bit of a parallel with the book in that I think if you have, you know, I was, I was wondering if the beginning of the book, that meeting in itself, would be strong enough to carry a, a story to the end. So I have my own little, my own little thing about that. Will, you know, will this, is this meeting between these two people strong enough to carry a novel? Because if it is, it's probably strong enough to carry you know, a relationship, I would hope. So, you know, I think people can meet in all, all, all different ways. And, I'm, and in fact, in, with like Yes Man, you know, I think you're as likely to meet the love of your life at a bad party as at a good one. But you've got to go to the party. You've got to do something. And that's when things can happen, you know. So that's kind of my, my philosophy about that. You've got to go to the party. Got to go to the party. Um, Lady here in the front row. I like how you're making her work. I know. Yeah. Hello. Um, Hello. I don't, don't want to put you in under any pressure here, but Christopher Brunmeyer. I am looking at about 300 people, so I'm under <laughs> some, some degree of pressure. Uh, Christopher Brookmeyer, who's a, a he's at the festival this year. I don't uh -huh. know if you know his work. Um, he's a, a Scottish crime writer yeah. who writes very funny books. He's a very funny man. He's got some brilliant anecdotes about things that have happened to him when he's gone to book signings. Oh, right. Um, some very bizarre things. Just wondering if anything funny has happened to you um, oh doing book signings or speaking <laughs> to your public about, I like about your work. Have you got any anecdotes about a very specific event? <laughs> <laughs> and, and if you haven't, she's going to do something to you afterwards. Yeah. She'll, be, she'll be in the queue with a jack-in-the-box yeah, or a absolutely. whoopee cushion on the chair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, well, most of the people who read my stuff tend to be 
very well brought up, lovely people. Uh, very, they don't want to cause a fight, it's fine. But no, um, you, you do know something's up if you turn up at a book reading and the person goes, there's someone been here for nine hours. And then you turn up and they're dressed kind of like, uh, sort of like the characters from your book. And you have to, and that's good, I think it's great that they, um, they sort of... That's they, really happened where they're dressed yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, that, and I've had kings. I've had, I've had all sorts, because I started a country. Again, if no one's familiar with my work, <laughs> <laughs> sounds a bit odd. Uh, so those kind of things happen. Um, uh, uh, I am now under a lot of pressure to try and remember. Ed, where's Ed? Ed, please say something funny's happened at a book reading. <laughs> I signed a baby's arm the other day. That's why he earns the big bucks. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I was in Birmingham. No. Glasgow. <laughs> Thanks, Ed. Thanks a lot for suddenly splitting the room. Yeah, I was in Glasgow, and um, a lady made me sign her infant child. Uh, and um, and I, I just did it. And then I, and the weirdest thing is, I completely forgot about it. Like, you would think you'd remember me. you think the next person in the queue, you'd sort of go, just signed a baby. But I just, I just cracked on. You think at lunchtime I'd be going, I just, I just signed a baby. You think I'd phone my wife, I'd go, I signed a baby. Tweet it, I just signed a baby. <laughs> but it was only until about one in the morning I was just going to bed and I suddenly thought, I signed a baby. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, thanks, uh, thanks to the people of Glasgow. Anyone here from Glasgow? Hey! Hey! One person. <laughs> just one person. The rest are just breeding. Um, reading the next, the next, uh, yeah. Do you think she's washed the baby, or is she? How is the? Has she had it tattooed on? Possibly, the baby. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. I thought, no, I was thought you were, gonna, yeah. you're casting aspersions on the hygiene of the child. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I would hope. I would hope so. Yeah. Because yeah. what would happen if you got a tattoo as a baby? Would the tattoo Grow. expand? Would possibly. it be? A, I have no idea. No one's. No one's really thought this through, have they? Uh, so, um, you know, I signed a baby. You're just going to have to be happy with that. Two, two questions over here. The gentleman oh, yeah. in the front row and the lady two rows behind. Do you think the fact that you've now written a novel and you've got a family means there's going to be no more stupid boy projects? <laughs> well, I think the fact that I've got a toddler um, kind of puts, puts that on ice for a little bit. It's very hard to just think, I'm going to get a bruise today <laughs> um, when, you, when you've got a toddler, um, who is the light of my life and my best friend. Um, but I, I hope that one day maybe we can do something together. Not me and you. <laughs> I've just met you, and I just think there's, there's, there's fireworks there. Um, but yeah, maybe uh, me, my baby, uh, and you can go to Bruges <laughs> if you sign it. Um, but no, it, you know, I think something may happen one day, but who knows. Uh, you told about the Karma Army, and yeah. I'm wondering what happened to your country. Because you, yeah. you told that you left your flat, so... Yeah, I did. I, I, I still, um, I started a country. Um, I started a country uh, in a one-bedroom flat in Bow. Um, uh, just to see if I could. I became the king uh, of a country later known uh, as Lovely, the first democratically named country uh, in the world. But then I did, I did have to move. I did have to move. <laughs> Um, but I managed to, to I, I got the flat when it was uh, in the East End and it was dirt cheap and I managed to kind of uh, keep hold of it, right? So I still, I still own the country, but I didn't tell the person who moved in <laughs> that it was a country. But I did, because on the, uh, the day I declared it an independent state, I got the local press to come round um, and it made a few of the East End papers. Uh, and so there's a picture of me in like military regalia. What was the country called? It was called Lovely, Lovely in the end, yeah, yeah. Um, 
yeah, full of lovelies, that's what it is, and it's a lovely place. Um, but I did leave the article on a very high shelf, so that if ever she's like trying to change a light bulb or something, she'll like discover it, sort of like Indiana Jones discovering some piece of, some archaeological find, and just realise that she's living in an independent state. And you know all the, um, with the Olympics, they started putting missile batteries uh, on various places in the East End. Well, guess where a missile battery is? It's about 14 feet above my old bed. And it seemed like finally the British government just cottoned on and thought, we need to shut this guy down. <laughs> you know? So, um, so, so lovely, uh, uh, you know, it's, it still exists in a territorial sense. Although, I got the, um, <laughs> I got the guys, um, who the uh, Ordnance Survey, you know, the fellows with the, like, the lasers and all that, they came round and I got them to map out uh, a very accurate map of my flat, right? <laughs> Like with, with the proper, proper lasers and all this kind of stuff, it took them ages. Uh, and they did me a, a map so that if tourists came around, I could give them a map and they could go, or oh, I'm trying to find the sofa. There's a sofa, I just look at the map. Oh, there, it's the sofa there. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is that they did this, um, but I think there was some kind of administrative error because they never took it off the official map of the East End. So if you look, and I was walking past, like a, there's a lamp post. And just out of interest, you know if you see a map of your area, you want to see where your house is. So I was walking past, I went, oh, just check it. I looked, and there's a, a map, and, and very, very small. You could make out, in the shape of this kind of factory, you could see my sofa. <laughs> you could see my bin. You could see where my desk was. And it'd still be, it made it onto an official map of the East End. So, I mean, a little bit dodgy in terms of burglaries. If they're going to come around by night, they can just be going, if we just avoid that area. But uh, yeah, so, uh, so, so, so lovely is, is still there. Um, the lady behind the, the gentleman. Hello. Hello. Um, I was just um, want to say I really enjoyed um, reading Charlotte Street, and Thanks. I was wondering if you've got any more fiction works planned or if you've got anything else coming up in the pipeline. I've got, um, uh, I've got another, another novel I'd like to write, a story, and I know who it's about, and I know where they work, and I know obviously what the idea is, because that'd be, that's not enough. <laughs> has it got a similar kind of structure in this? I mean, the, I think that's one of the really interesting things in the same way that one day has a particular structure. This also has a sort of, it's got the photos, thing. you know, tell the story, don't they? It's, um, it doesn't. It's, it's got more of a straight narrative, but it's got a, a kind of a high concept mm. sort of twist. So it's kind of a cross between uh, Charlotte Street and, um, and Yes Man, I would say, um, but, uh, but a novel. Um, so uh, I'll give it a go anyway. But again, just the middle to work out. <laughs> just that bet. Just the middle, just the novel itself. <laughs> Was there another question? Sorry, oh, the lady behind me, I'm sorry. Hello. So running across there. Immediately after you did Yes Man, yep. what was the first question that you answered no to? <laughs> oh, that's very good. That's nice. Um, do you know, I've no actual, no actual memory of the first one, but I'll tell you what, it was, it's quite nice to reclaim no, because someti sometimes when you do say no, you are kind of saying yes for yourself, in a, in a sense. But I still, I still say yes a lot more than, than ever I would. Uh, like, it's almost like, like a foreign film when someone says something to me, I can kind of sometimes almost see subtitles, and it feels like that's the moment to kind of say yes, although I've seen some things I shouldn't have seen in my life. Like uh, I went to see a band uh, just because someone was going, oh, I was going across town, blah, blah, blah. And it was called something like General Onion, 
and his shocking castanets. <laughs> and I've, I've now seen General Onion and, and his shocking castanets. I, uh, I probably wouldn't say yes again, but I'm glad I said yes at that point, you know. So, uh, so I say yes a lot more, but I also do say, say no to a lot more. And I say no, weirdly, I, I sort of say no to, to al almost everything in my career at the, at the minute. I'm having a, a kind of a year where I just want to do things that I want to do and, and not because I feel I should or if it's, you know, it might be just a bit ropey. <laughs> uh, I, just, I just sort of don't do it. So I'm saying no a lot more now. But yes, in my actual day-to-day -day life. That sounds like a good place to be in your life. Yeah, it's, it's, it is, yeah. It's, it's quite freeing uh, when, you, when you do that. Um, but that said, I, do, I get up at five o'clock every morning to do a breakfast show on a London station. So really, by 10 o'clock, I don't want to do anything anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, was there another question over here, or was that? Oh, it was there, sorry. There, there it is, we're on. Out of all the different things that you've done in your career, how does writing a novel rank in terms of achievements? And also, um, like Yes Man was quite a, a well, non-fiction, but then they turned into a, a fictional film. Yeah. How, if they turn this into a film, how, well, sort of how protective would you be over that work? Because this is something that is yours in a different way that Yes Man Yeah. Well, writing a novel, it was, uh, it's, it's, uh, I'm glad I did it. I, you know, it's one of those things where you don't know if you can do it. And um, you want to see, and so I'm glad that... Had you been wanting to do it for a long time? I mean, you working up to it? I think, you know, yeah, you, you sort of, you, the, you have, there has to be the right moment and the right idea. Um, so I'm really pleased, and it, and it ranks up there. And in terms of the other question, when, when Jim Carrey got involved in Yes Man, I said, you know, I had to take a step back because it was no longer based on like a Danny Wallace thing, it was a Jim Carrey film, you know? Uh, yeah, and uh, had they remained, because the, the book is, um, you know, I write in sort of quite a visual way, but had they made it scene for scene, it would have been about a man who lives in the East End and goes to the happy shopper, <laughs> you know, near Mile End tube station, and um, wouldn't really have global appeal. So, but the beats of the film actually match the beats of the book, and a lot of that about the love story and a lot of the situations, they're just kind of Americanized but they set it in a different place and they, they, he, he was a bank worker and all this kind of stuff. With, with Charlotte Street, again, you know, I'll have to get to the point, I, I think, where I have to just kind of let it go because the book isn't going to change. Some people were quite angry that there were so many kind of changes to Yes Man. And that's a compliment because it means that the book meant something to them. But my answer is always, look, the book's not going to change and, you know, that's there and it exists. And here's a new thing. And it's got the same heart and spirit, so why not? And so long as that is achieved with Charlotte Street, I'll be happy. But I think it'll be if it happens, because most films take about 500 years to make. <laughs> I think E.T. was first pitched in like 1833 or something. <laughs> so if ever it happens, then, uh, then, then great. But, you know, um, I have to be as non-precious as I can. Um, that seems like a great place to leave it. I'm, I just... Uh should draw your attention to Anobi, the first book prize. Um, mm -hmm. As this is not your first book, but it's your debut novel, yeah, um, yeah. you can um, get away with you, it. You can get away with it. Being a debut again, yeah. um, for <laughs> you can vote for Charlotte Street. Um, but I just want to thank all of you for your time and attention, um, and also to thank Danny Wallace. Um, and thank you and good night. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Do we go now? Thank you. Great. Really good. Do we leave the stage? Yeah, cool. Thanks so much, Steve.
More podcasts, videos and live recordings of author events can be found at www.edbookfest.co.uk.